Oh God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. There's a reason why we tend to like Matthew's version of the Beatitudes more than Luke's, and why we more often see it set to music in that love, such as in that lovely setting we just sang. Because Matthew, after all, says blessed are the poor in spirit, while Luke simply says blessed are you poor, poor like no money poor. Matthew says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, while Luke says, blessed are those who hunger. Hunger meaning having no food hunger. Matthew seems to describe a general abstract set of people. Blessed are those, while Luke is talking directly to us. Blessed are you who are poor, you who hunger, you who weep. And most of all, of course, we prefer Matthew because he does not have the woes. So those of us who are not hungry or poor can comfortably assume this text does not about us. Whereas Luke does not allow us to escape. Woe to you who are rich, woe to you who are full, and woe to you who laugh now. It's always struck me as strange when Christians focus so much energy on the comparatively few things that Jesus has to say about sex and sexuality while ignoring that the deepest challenge that Jesus is constantly placing before us, the topic he never moves away from for long, has to do with wealth and poverty. Not spiritual wealth and poverty, but economic wealth and poverty. There's no getting around that this is one of the central issues that defines his mission. Now, I say there's no getting around it, but in fact, I've heard any number of sermons and no doubt preached a number of them myself that in effect have taken Luke's Beatitudes and turned them into Matthew's. Sermons that say more or less, when Jesus says to give all your possessions away, he didn't really mean to do that. He just meant not to be attached to them. It has to do with your attitude toward all your money, not really with how much you have. You can have as much of, of it as you want, the argument goes, as long as you don't care about it, as long as you are poor in spirit. So I hate to say it, but that's not really what Jesus is saying here. Now throughout the Gospels, and especially in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus really is talking about our money, our possessions, how much we have and what we do with it. It's his mother who starts the ball rolling when she declares in her great hymn of praise that God is casting down the mighty and lifting up the lowly, filling the hungry with good things and sending the rich away empty. And then Jesus takes up the theme in his first sermon, quoting from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. This opening sermon is his mission statement. And then we see him going around and doing just that, reaching out to heal and befriend those on the margins, calling his disciples to become poor, to leave everything to follow him. And in the Gospel of Luke, he tells the story of the rich fool who had so much stuff that he built larger and larger barns and thought he was sitting pretty and then he died that very night. And then what did he have? Or the story of the rich man who feasted sumptuously while at his gate was lying poor Lazarus who had nothing. And now after both died, 
Lazarus was comforted in Abraham's bosom, and the rich man was in torment. And he tells the story of Zacchaeus, who had to repent of his ill-gotten riches. In Jesus Christ, his words and his mission, God clearly declares God's self as being on the side of the poor. Gustavo Gutierrez says, God has a preferential love for the poor, not because they're inherently better than anyone else, but because they live in ways, in inhuman ways that are contrary to God's will for them, contrary to God's desire for them, because God desires the flourishing of all God's people. And God's love for the poor is God's will that they should be freed from these conditions of inhumanity and share in the flourishing and the joy that God intends for all of us. And this is what Jesus' mission displays in his words and his actions again and again. But where does that leave us who are rich? And really all of us in this chapel are rich compared to how many, many people in the world live. And we live and work and study here at VTS, an institution with great wealth. So is it just woe to us personally and as an institution? Is the choice before us as stark and as impossible seeming as the story of the rich ruler, who when he was asked what he had to do to inherit eternal life, was told by Jesus, sell all you own, distribute their money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Is that what we have to do if we want to call ourselves Jesus' disciples? And even the disciples who had left everything to follow Jesus, when they heard him say that to the rich ruler, were distressed and they said, but who then can be saved? Because even to them it seemed impossible. Fortunately, the Gospel of Luke gives us some help with this question. I do believe that the call to the rich ruler to give away everything to follow Jesus is really and truly the gold standard of Christian discipleship. I think that's what Jesus means. We do need to hear this call. We need to let it shake us to the core and to compel us to ask what we are doing in response to this challenge. But then what Luke does is he shows us that even if we can't do this, there are things we can do. We can take steps in that direction, legitimate steps. It starts even before Jesus comes on the scene. When the people are coming to John the Baptist and he's proclaiming that the Messiah will be coming and they say, what should we do? And he says, if you have two coats, share one with someone in need. And then again in the story of Zacchaeus, who has to repent of his ill-gotten gain, when he repents, he offers to give away half of his wealth. Not all of it, but half of it. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. It's a legitimate thing to do as a starting point. And in parallel to the story of the rich man who wouldn't give Lazarus any crumbs, Jesus says to rich people, invite the poor the lame, the dispossessed, to come to your banquet. What these stories indicate is that short of giving everything away, it matters that we do something, that we give 
at least some of what we have, that we reach out to the poor, that we take some steps, however small, to be on the side of the poor as Jesus was. It matters that we subject our lives to this searching question. How does my life bring God's blessing to the poor? How does my ministry do that? How does our work at VTS do that? How does my life do that? And is there something, even something small, but something concrete that we can do to bring more of that blessing to those whom God particularly loves, to the poor? Now, when I was meditating on this, I happened to hear a story on the news which said that one major cause of suffering among the world's poorest right now is the effects of climate change. Because of global warming, world hunger, which had been declining for decades, is now on the rise. Deadly heat, worsening drought, flooding, fires, the disappearance of arable land all mean food sources are getting scarce, more people are going hungry. And closer to home, as we look at Hurricane Florence barreling down on us, we know that this storm has been worsened because it's traveled over water, ocean water that is warmer than usual. And we also know that when it hits, the people who will suffer the most are the poor. If Hurricane Katrina is any guide, those who are told to evacuate but have nowhere to go, those who don't have the resources to rebuild, those are the ones who are going to feel the effects of this storm worse than anyone. Climate change is not just a middle class issue. It's an issue of economic and racial justice for the least of these, among whom we can include our children and our grandchildren, who in 50 years will look at us and look back and say, why didn't they do something before it was too late? Now, addressing climate change can feel as impossible as giving away all our possessions, but there are things we can do, just small things. We can drive less, we can buy only fruits and vegetables in season, we can buy less plastic, we can turn up our ACs, we can turn down our heat, we can advocate for stronger environmental protection. I am not a paragon of virtue in any of these ways, God knows, but I stand with you under this challenging word that blesses the poor and calls the rich to repent. So yes, this word today is challenging and we need to let it shake us. But it is life-giving too. And I find life in that strange word that Jesus uses when he says, Woe to you who are rich because you have received your consolation. The other place in Luke where that word appears is with the aged Simeon waiting in the temple, awaiting the Savior, who was awaiting the consolation of Israel. Where do we find our consolation? We can get lulled into a false sense that riches are our consolation and our comfort, our possessions, but Simeon knows better. The disciples who left everything to follow Jesus know better. They know that our true consolation is only in Christ. And as we are able to stand on the side of the poor, we discover in a whole new way that our true consolation and life and joy come only from Christ. And we discover, too, that in Christ we're strengthened to meet the challenges that face us as we seek the flourishing of all of God's creation. And above all, it's the Eucharist that gives us both the challenge and the strength.
I once heard Dr. Robert Heaney say that the Eucharist should throw us to the margins. This meal should drive us out to those who hunger, to those Jesus calls us to feed as we have been fed. But not only does the Eucharist drive us to the margins, but it gives us the strength and the courage to go. We go as Christ's body to continue his mission, to bring God's blessing to the poor. We go with him as our consolation and our comfort and our hope and our joy. And we go remembering what Jesus said when the disciples said, in desperation, who can be saved? Jesus said, for mortals, it's impossible, but not for God. With God, nothing is impossible.